Today's reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church, and happy new year. Add my welcome to that of uh, Pastor Ken and Pastor Norb. It's a privilege to be teaching today, although this passage, I'm like, I'm not supposed to desire to be a teacher. I'm like, "Eh, everyone's going to be judging me. Anyway, it's good. This morning we're talking about words. You know, James is talking about the need to tame our tongue, the, the importance and the power of words. Have you ever considered how many words come out of your mouth in one day? How many conversations you have, how many things that you say. I was reminded in studying for this of a short story that I read in high school that talked about a a society in which the government decided that there was word pollution. And so every person had something installed on their neck that limited the amount of words that can come out of their mouths. Can you imagine? And the story goes on to, to describe this society in which no one's really talking. The author just keeps describing these interactions of people nodding to one another and spouses just kissing one another on the cheek and it's just silence. And you go on to read about this one individual who's fed up and he wants to be able to say more. And they find out about a man who is able to remove these devices and, and, and the story is disrupted by this individual who comes in and he's just saying words like crazy. And, and as a reader you're like, oh man, this is a big shift in the story. But as it goes on, the, in the attempt to take this, this thing out of his, off his neck, the man ends up not being able to say anything at all. His words are taken from him. He's left speechless. But it's funny, when I was thinking about this story, I wonder if we would benefit from a similar type of accountability. Not necessarily a device that limited how much we say, although maybe some of us need that. Um, But perhaps a device that maybe at the end of the day would tell us how many critical words came out of our mouths. How many times were you judgmental? How many times did you tell a white lie? 
You know, and a device that would kind of spit out this information because all of us are incredibly impacted by words day in and day out. There's perhaps words that you've heard that you, you wish you hadn't. Things that people have said that you're like, oh, I wish you hadn't said that. Or maybe you've sat in a presentation and listened to a speaker who's going on and on and you're sitting there going like, please stop, please stop, please stop. You know, quit while you're ahead. Hopefully that hasn't happened here at TCC. Maybe you've been online reading Facebook feeds and as you're going along you, you read an article or something that someone says and you quickly go to their page and you unfriend them, not liking what they've said. Perhaps you're wishing that there's people in your life who couldn't say anything at all. And how about you? Have you ever said something and then quickly wished that you could take it back? You know, maybe, maybe just last week you made a New Year's resolution and already you're wishing, I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I hadn't made this resolution. How about awkward conversations? You know, Celeste Hadley was giving a TED Talk on conversations and she points out that it used to be that a polite conversation, for a polite conversation to happen, you just had to stick to talking about the weather and your health. But now with climate change and anti-vaxxing, even those topics are no longer safe. And we find ourselves navigating different conversations throughout the day, avoiding certain people, all because of words. All these forms of communication tend to leave us frustrated. Because they aren't just words, are they? Words are so much more than words. We use words to form thoughts, to communicate information, to make decisions based on that information. We use words to influence others, to inspire others. We use words to share life with one another. And as I say this, you're all, yes, we understand this. We get this. We understand the power of words. We teach our children to be polite. We teach them to be encouraging. We teach them not to be cruel with their words. We try to teach them to be encouraging and kind to one another. Well, this morning we continue in James where he invites us to consider our words. He invites us to see that being thoughtful of what comes out of our mouths isn't just a discipline reserved for children. How often do we need the same advice that we give to our children? You know, and as I was thinking and preparing and looking at this portion in James, I found myself feeling very, very convicted. Because I so often ignore basic instructions about words. I was reminded this week of how easily I can be critical. How easily I can say things that are cutting people down rather than encouraging them. I was reminded of how many times I've said something to someone that I instantly wished I could just put back into my mouth. So this morning we're going to look at what James has to say about our words. And he picks up James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also, the tongue is a small member, 
yet it boasts of great things. So James tells us in this passage about the nature of words. And in this opening section, his first point is that our words are powerful. Our words are powerful. James has a context here that that we see. He's talking about teachers. This reality that words have an ability to influence. That using words, using influence brings us under greater judgment. Being someone who's using words in a way to influence others or, or to have that power, it brings us under a greater judgment. Our temptation in reading this might be to think, well, you know, I'm not a teacher. You know, I'm not, I'm not a teacher at the church. I don't get up and preach a sermon. I'm not in Sunday school teaching the kids. So I, I can just ignore what James is saying. But I want to challenge you. Because each one of us have various places of influence. Each one of us have various opportunities in a week to use our words in such a way that influences other people. Be it in our workplaces, be it in our own homes, talking with our families, being it in a conversation with a spouse or in a conversation with a friend. So no, you may not be a teacher in the church, but I assure you, your words still have influence. And because of that, these words that James has for you are for you as much as they are for me this morning. James is giving us a warning about the ways in which we use our influence. And the warning is very obvious. When you teach others, you are held to what you say. When you teach others, you're held to what, to what you say. I heard a story of a driving instructor. And he takes his high school students and they're driving along and he's teaching them. And his big thing was shoulder checking. You got a shoulder check. You got a shoulder check. You got a shoulder check. And he'd say, when you're ready to either change lanes or turn, check your mirror, then check your shoulder, signal, check your shoulder again, and then proceed. So over and over again, he'd say, mirror, shoulder, signal, shoulder, proceed, mirror, shoulder, signal, shoulder, proceed. And he drilled this into his students. Sure enough, one day he's driving down a freeway and he's, he's in a rush and he's going a little quick and he forgets to shoulder check. Side swipes the car next to him. These two cars pull off, and, they, and he gets out of his car, and to his horror is standing there the mother of one of his students. What made the situation even worse is that the mother had her child with them, who gets out of the car, looks at the instructor, and says, mirror, shoulder, signal, shoulder, proceed. <laughs> this driver instructor was held to account in this situation. We want people to be ones who practice what they preach. If someone is going to tell you the things that you are to do, if someone's going to tell you the ways in which you are to behave, you expect them to do the same. You expect them to practice what they preach. And James's warning is perhaps particularly potent for those who teach in the church. Because myself as a pastor, Pastor Norb or Ken or Quinn or whoever's up here teaching, you know, it's, it's our heart and our desire that we're communicating to you the Word of God. That, that our words are actually a words to you, God's heart to you. But could you imagine if we're up here talking about morality or, or having a godly marriage or these types of things, and then you watch our lives and it's inconsistent, now you're going to judge us. But this principle plays out in, in various other ways. Because every time we use our influence, we're going to be held to account of the things that we've said in using that influence. 
The principle behind this power of words is that the smaller part can move the larger whole. And James gives us two illustrations in this. But the Bible as a whole communicates this idea of words and power from Genesis to Revelation. Think of Genesis chapter 1 when God creates. He creates using a word. He says, let there be light. And then there's light. God's words had power. Two chapters later, Genesis chapter 3, the serpent comes to deceive Eve. Do you know what he says to her? He says, hey Eve, did God really say that you shouldn't eat of the, tr- the fruit from that tree? What did Satan use? He used words. He went to Eve and he, he used his words to influence her. His words had power. I love in uh, reading the Proverbs, we read over and over again the reality of words. Just a couple of those in, in Proverbs chapter 11. Evil words destroy one's friends. Wise discernment rescues the godly. Proverbs 16 talks about kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul, healthy for the body. Proverbs 25, 18, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe. Ouch. Wounding them with a sword or shooting them with a sharp arrow. Jesus goes on in the Gospels to talk about words. We continue on in in reading the epistles. They're talking over and over again about words, the power, the importance of our words. You know, and we think about this and how this plays out. You know, when I was a kid, I, I was picked on a lot in elementary school. And I had a lot of kids come in and say some things to me that really were not kind. I had trouble making friends. I didn't fit in. And I think about that and looking back at the ways that being picked on and, and being teased as a kid, the ways that that influenced the things that I did in junior high and high school. The poor decisions I made because I felt desperate to fit in. Other people's words influenced me in a negative way. But I think about the other end of that. Um, we are just coming up on the, the one year, well, we just passed the one year anniversary of the, the passing of Jim Leverett. Some of you know Jim. And Jim was the regional minister for the Alberta Baptist Association. And when I was in grade nine, uh, Jim Leverett came to me and he said, Adam, I love when you play piano. Keep playing piano. And sure enough, I I kept playing piano. His encouragement to me influenced me. A few years later, Jim again comes to me, talking to me about ministry. Saying, you know, Adam, I think think there's potential in you pursuing ministry. I think God wants to use you in his church. And, And sure enough, these words, this encouragement, it did something in me. And we all have these stories of people telling us something and it, it being like a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship, directing us and guiding us in life, sometimes for good and sometimes for bad. So we recognize and we understand that words have an immense amount of power. But James goes on to talk about the problem of this. And, and we keep reading in James chapter 3. He says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind, but no human being 
can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. So his first point is words have power. His second point is that our words are untamable. Our words are untamable. They're difficult to control. Have you ever wanted to take words back? Perhaps you, you asked a woman if she was pregnant when she wasn't. You put your foot in your mouth. Or you're, you've just had a meal at someone's house and you're, you're there with a friend and you're leaning over and telling your friend how terrible the, the meal was and the, the cook of the meal standing behind you and you're like, oh, I wish I didn't say that. Or maybe in your marriage, getting frustrated and, and yelling at your spouse something like, you're so inconsiderate. Suddenly damage is done in the relationship and you wish you could just take these words back, wishing you could go back in time and not have said something like that. James's words are really harsh here in this section. He compares our words to that of a fire, like a small spark that ignites something and just spreads. He says that our words are like a world of unrighteousness, staining the body. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, I think it it points to this reality that we are so easily influenced by words. And when words are negative, they have a negative impact. And just consider how much television and movies and different things we we expose ourselves to. The message of, of these shows, the message that's being communicated to us by culture. And the words that are formed from these and the way that we process those. Or maybe there's a celebrity that you admire a person at work or a family member, and and the influence from them isn't a good influence. Maybe the influence of them goes against what we know the Bible, what the Bible teaches to be true. But their words still impact us. So words then become the basis for unrighteousness. Words become the basis for unrighteousness. Because with these words, we start formulating thoughts. We start thinking things about, oh, so-and-so is doing this. And with words, suddenly we convince ourselves that something isn't that bad. It's not really that sinful. So-and-so does this, they do, it's not a big deal. And with words, suddenly we've led ourselves into sinful actions. With words, too, we can spiral in our self-talk and start talking down at ourselves and ignore our identity in Christ and allow our minds to be consumed with what other people think. This leads to anxiety and depression. All of this from the spark of a few words. James highlights for us that these types of words have their source from hell. They have their source from hell. Very blunt thing for him to say. But I want us to consider this. When our speech demonstrates the capacity to devastate others and even ourselves, our tongues have been bent by the forces of evil. When we become subject to this type of speech, we are under, we are, uh, this type of speech, we are under words finding their source in evil. Words can so easily become a tool of Satan. And friends, this is not how God intended it. This picture that James is painting for us in this passage is that words like a fire, a spark, it it starts, it ignites, and it starts spreading. And they can't control it. You can't put it out. It's moved beyond the, 
the means of a fire extinguisher taking it out. It's moved beyond something that you're able to control. And suddenly a whole forest is, is set ablaze. Your whole life is set ablaze. What, what I love here is what he points out is that this wouldn't be a problem if the tongue was more like an animal. <laughs> so that was a very funny comparison. This wouldn't be a problem if our tongues were more like an animal. Jolene and I uh, used to have a dog, and when this dog was a young puppy, I, I was amazed at how quickly we were able to teach him to sit and how easily we were te- able to teach him to shake a paw and these different things. As long as you had a treat in your hand, he would do whatever you told him to. Um, when he didn't have a treat, that was a different story. But the, the idea was that we could apply techniques and, and disciplines to taming our dog. And we can apply techniques and disciplines to taming an animal. We can very simply just work at it and see results. But James is teaching us that it's not the same with the tongue. The tongue cannot be tamed. We can't simply apply some techniques and disciplines and suddenly fix our language or the, the way that words influence us or the power that they had. The tongue is untamable. James goes on to reveal the third attribute of our words. Pick this up in verse, verse 9. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So what is he talking about here? So if words are powerful, words are untamable, our words are revealing. Our words are revealing. James here is returning to a theme that he's already talked about in his letter, which is this issue of duplicity. James talks about this duplicity in chapter 1, where he talks about how, um, how easy it is for us to become double-minded people. This idea of saying one thing and, and acting another way, or praying one way and then acting in a way that's contrary to the way in which we have prayed. And James is pointing out that there's a problem when we worship God and then turn around and criticize and ridicule and discourage others. And this makes so much sense, doesn't it? James has said, your, your words are inconsistent. If with, if with your mouth you're going to bless God, how can you then turn around and curse someone else? He's, and what James is calling us to see is that the God that we're worshiping, His image is carried by all the people who are all around us. And we need to recognize that. But I find in these cases when we are criticizing others and being judgmental, we we use our words in a way to feel better about ourselves by making others feel bad. Worse is when we encourage someone to their face and deliver polite speech to them, but behind their back we have nothing kind to say. James gives us two more images here. Fresh and salt water. And as well as fig trees bearing olives. And I believe it's in this part of the passage that that terrified me the most. This is the most terrifying part of this passage. Words are a reflection of their source. Words are a reflection of their source. 
Why does this terrify me? Well, because if we're cursing others, if I'm cursing someone else, insulting them, if I'm using my words to control and manipulate someone, what does that say about my character? If words are coming out of my mouth and I'm not able to control them and the things that I'm saying are destructive, what does that say about my heart? If my lips continually speak ridicule, criticism, and discouragement, that's revealing. Our words then are revealing. So what can we do? James has outlined our words are powerful. But this power is not something we can tame because our words are untamable. But our words are also revealing and they're exposing something. It's like, okay, James, this, I get this, but, but what am I supposed to do with all this? This is really difficult. I would like to suggest that if our words are like fruit, we must consider the root. If our words are like fruit, we must consider their root. We have to consider the source. That's what James is getting at here. This idea of, can, can salty water come from a fresh spring? Well, well no. If, if I have salt water, where the salt water came from was probably salty. Can fig, figs become from, um, can fig trees bear olives? No. If I want to find the source of the olives, I have to find an olive tree, not a fig tree. So if my words are destructive and, and critical of others, I need to consider the source. And address the source. And this takes us to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6. And in Luke chapter 6, we read this. For no good tree bears bad fruit. It's the same principle as what James just said. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. Very similar principles to what we're reading here in James. And we read also in Luke, in chapter 12, uh, verse 34, which also got on on the screen. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we see this connection between our words, our treasures... And, and what's going on in our hearts. So I believe, again, if our words are like fruit, we have to consider the root. What's going on in our hearts? If we find it difficult to be encouraging, if we, if we find ourselves constantly convincing ourselves to live in sin, if we're dealing with anxiety and depression and there's this inner dialogue that's going on and on and on and on, and we're like, I can't control my thoughts, I can't control these words, we have to consider the root. So I have three considerations for us this morning. The first is consider your treasure. Consider your treasure. What are your priorities? What are the things that you orient your lives around? For some of us, it might be that this desire to have lots of money, a desire to be successful on this earth. For others, our treasure might be adventure and experience and, and doing lots of things and, and, and having lots of fun in life. For others, it might be peace within yourself. Just living a life, well, as long as I feel good in and of myself, I'm good. But if these things are our treasure, what is that doing to our hearts? 
Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is teaching us to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. As we unpack the Gospel, as we unpack uh, the writings of Paul, we see that Jesus needs to be our primary treasure. And I want to encourage you this week, uh, we, we really encourage you as a congregation to be, to be people who journal, who, who res- write in your journals and pray by writing in your journal. And, and I took this question this week and I, I sat down and I opened my journal and I, I simply wrote like, Lord, what is the treasure of my heart? Because when I ask that question, I very quickly know that I can't energetically and excitedly say that Jesus is the primary treasure of my heart. And I wish I could say that. I really do. But I know that there's things that get in the way. And as I prayed through this and I journaled through this, asking Jesus what my treasure is, it took me to this, this root issue of control. That I'm someone who really wants to be in control of situations and circumstances and people and things that are going on around me. And out of this desire to be in control, it causes me not to to trust God very much. But what does it do to my words? Man, I have to be careful. Because out of my mouth is going to flow words that are trying to manipulate people. Words that are going to try to control people. Words that are going to make and shape situations and circumstances to my liking. But that, that isn't necessarily how it should be. That's not how it should be. So I have to consider, what is this treasure? And then I I go to my heart and I see these issues and I want to prune the criticism and the gossip. If the fruit is criticism and gossip, I want to prune those things. I want to cut those things and and take them away from me. And I want to begin to see others as Jesus does. And for myself with this whole issue of control, I, I need to learn to trust Jesus more. And as I trust Jesus more, as I trust that he's in control, I don't have to be in control because he's in control. And suddenly that judgmental words and his critical words and these words that express this need to control, those aren't what's flowing out of my mouth because I'm learning to trust Jesus more. So friends, what is the treasure of your heart? I encourage you this week, sit down, open your journal. Ask God that question, what is the treasure of my heart? Secondly, consider what's invading your heart. So if we consider what's maybe going on in our own lives, our own hearts, our insecurities, our misplaced priorities, that's good. But also consider what are you letting influence your heart? Earlier in our passage, James James highlights that being able to control the tongue and not stumble in what you say will make you a perfect person. And I wonder if this is why, because perfect words are the fruit of a perfect heart. If from the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak, we must think about what is getting into our hearts. What are we exposing our hearts to? What are we exposing ourselves to? You know, it's so easy for us to think that television isn't influencing us that much. That what I listen to and what I watch and the violence and the sex and the graphic material, it's not influencing me that much. It's just entertainment. I enjoy watching it. But friends, I encourage you to think about that. Is it influencing you more than you think that it is? Is it doing a work in your heart that's softening you towards sin? 
That's softening you to, to look at certain people in, in a way that you shouldn't be looking at them? Is it softening you to make choices that you know you should not be making? What about the sports or the political people that we watch closely? The ones we admire, the celebrities? Are we allowing the choices they make influence the choices we make rather than allowing God's word to be what influences the choices we make? What's invading your heart? Consider what's invading your heart. Proverbs talks about our hearts being the wellspring of life. Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You want your words to be ones that are encouraging and edifying to those around you? Guard your heart. The third consideration for us is consider your influence. Consider your influence. James is not discussing possibilities for words. He's not saying that our words are sometimes powerful or sometimes we can't tame them or sometimes they aren't revealing or they are revealing. Rather, he's very point blank telling us this is the nature of our words. James opens this passage addressing the issue of teaching, recognizing that a teacher has a tremendous opportunity. Friends, those of you who have influence, and you all have influence, you have a tremendous opportunity to use your words in a way that builds others up. To use your words in such a way that impacts other people and different situations for the good. You have that opportunity. So ask yourself, are you speaking encouragement? I encourage you this week. Who is someone that you could encourage? A family member, a co-worker, a friend. That maybe you haven't gone up to them in a while and told them how much you appreciate them. I encourage you who are in junior high and high school. Man, I was picked on when I was a kid. (laughs) It's not fun. There's kids in your school who are being picked on. How can you find those students and speak life to them? How can you stand up for the kids who are being picked on and say, no, we, we aren't picking on this kid. We have amazing opportunities in our workplaces to find our coworkers who are maybe ignored or left to the sidelines over and over and over again. How can we be friends to them? How can we speak life to them? How can we choose not to participate in the gossip that happens around the lunchroom tables or by the water cooler, but say, no, I'm not, I don't need to say that critical thing about this person. Friends, I encourage you, speak life. Use your words. Recognize your words as an opportunity for influence and choose to use those words for good. As I studied this passage, I found myself almost a little discouraged because I didn't feel like James left us with much hope. You know, I'm reading this and I'm like, man, yeah, my words have power. Yeah, it's, I, I get this, but my words are untamable and they're revealing my heart and it's like, oh man, this is, this is heavy stuff. Friends, this passage should lead us to a place where we see our deep need for Jesus to change our hearts, that we may use our words to bring life, to speak life. And this morning we we come to the communion table. And what what an amazing opportunity to pause and remember. 
and recognize that, that Jesus, Jesus came. We just celebrated Christmas, this, this incarnation, God becoming man. He came so that we would not be left in sin. We would not be left in a place of separation from God. He came to restore us back into relationship with the Father. And He came to do a work in our lives that doesn't leave us in a place of, of sin, not, but also not leaving us in a place of, of not being who He designed us to be. Jesus desires to work in us that we may be more like Him. And we remember that this morning at the table. So I encourage us as we take communion this morning, let us remember the price that Jesus paid that we would not be left in our sin, that we would not be left in separation, but also the price he paid that he could do a work in our hearts, that he could transform us and make us more into the people that he made us to be. Let's pray. Father God, we read these words and are humbled. Lord, we thank you for James and the, this practical application that uh, this very practical instruction that he gives us, Lord. Though we read it and, and maybe feel like there's not a lot of application here. But Lord, I pray that we would see the invitation to be people who consider. Lord, that we would be people who consider what the treasure is of our hearts. Lord, that we would consider the things that are invading our hearts. That we would be people who guard our hearts. Jesus, I pray that you'd help us to consider our influence and the many opportunities we have to speak life and encouragement to others. But Lord, we recognize that we cannot do this without you. We cannot do this without the the gentle whispers of your Holy Spirit tapping us on the shoulder saying, hey, you shouldn't say that. Instead, say this, or, or giving us those words in that time of need. So, Jesus, we pray that you would just do that work in our lives. We pray that you would just conform us and shape us more into your image and your likeness. Lord, we pray that you would give us all the words that we need in a day. That we would be people who speak, speak life and encouragement and love to those around us. But yes, Lord, we say that we need you for that. So we remember this morning the price you paid. Lord, that we would not be left in a sinful state, Lord, but that you would restore us more and more to your image and likeness. And we remember that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.